Um, today we'll do Torah and tea. We'll do the portion of Ayeshev today. And if there will be time, we'll learn a little bit more about Hanukkah as well later on. Hanukkah is going to be Thursday night, so we still have a few days for Hanukkah. So let's first take care of Vayeshev, and then we'll do the Hanukkah. Also, uh, next week on Tuesday is going to be Hanukkah. And again, due, due to the circumstances, it's getting together. We usually got together on a Hanukkah, and we had a little Hanukkah party together. We can't do that this year. So we should still do a Zoom Hanukkah menorah lighting. Uh, next week, for Torah and tea, we'll do a Hanukkah menorah lighting. And I'd like to uh, invite everybody from the class uh, on Sunday. Let me know. Send me a text or an email uh, to stop by. I have a, you know, give a couple of donuts and a couple of uh, some treats. And uh, then we can uh, sort of celebrate together when we do the... Uh, Lighting of the menorah, we can have some of the treats. Uh, so we'll, we'll talk about it later, but let me just get to the class first. And we'll start with the portion of Ayeshev. Of course, this week's portion begins finally after Yaakov ends up with Esau, before with Lovan and then with Esau. And then uh, finally, Ayeshev Yaakov. Yaakov settles in. And Rashi says Yaakov already had so much problems in his life. He said, enough, I want to sit in peace now. Now I want to relax. I want to have a little bit of an easy time. But Hashem says, no, I have something else in mind for you. And Hashem said that sometimes people still have to go through various different things. In the world to come, everything will be all right. But for now, this is part of the struggles and this is part of the life. So now he has to deal with Yosef. Yosef and his brothers. So we know that Yaakov favored Yosef. And Yaakov bought him a special coat, Xenus Pasim. And he brought upon Yosef the jealousy of his brothers. And Yosef, on top of that, told his brother of his dreams. Now, he had dreams, but he shared them with his brothers. He didn't just keep them to himself, but he shared them with his brothers. And his brothers didn't like his dreams because in those dreams it looked like he was positioning himself as being bigger and greater than they are. You know that Yaakov loved Rachel more than Leah. That was the reason that he got involved with Yaakov with Lavan and the family is to, to marry Rachel. In the end, he also married Leah as it was the trick into it, but it always remained that way that Rachel's son, he was the only son at the time, I mean, he was uh, 
the older one, it was Binyamin as well, but he was not yet uh, not yet born. We'll read about it uh, later on. I mean, he was he was a youngster. He was born. I mean, to say, but he was. Uh, I mean, his mother Rachel. We knew that in his birth she died, uh, but the um, there was sort of a uh, status thing over there that Yosef was the the one from the wife that he wanted, and he treated him specially, and now he comes up with these dreams. So one of the dreams that he has, he has two dreams that he tells to his brothers, and the one dream he says, here we behold, we're standing in the field, and we're bundling the bundles. And then what happens? My bundle stands up, it stations itself strongly, and your bundles are bound down to my bundles. This is the verse. So in verse 37, 7, it says as follows. And behold, this is part of his dream. And behold, we were bundling bundles in the field. And behold, my bundle got up and stood fast. And behold, your bundles bowed to my bundle. And of course, his brothers didn't like this dream because they interpreted this dream as they said, do you think you're going to be king over us? Do you think that you're going to dominate us? Uh, and Yaakov was not too happy either. Uh, he was, he was uh, sort of telling him, don't do that, don't say that. And But really he was holding it in his mind, when will this really come true. He was actually happy with the dreams. But basically there was another dream that he dreams and that was about the sun and the moon and the 11 stars that are bowing down to uh, Yosef. Alright. Today we'll talk a little bit about these bundling of these bundles. Okay? What is the bundling of the bundling mean spiritually? But first we'll explain a point from the Rebbe Sicha on bundling the bundles. So, Rashi says, what were the bundles? What were they bundling there? In the verse itself, it's not clear. So, in the verse itself, it doesn't say what they were bundling. It just says, it just says, ma'almim alumim. Ma'almim alumim means we were bundling bundles. But what were they bundling? That it doesn't say in the Pasuk what they were. Rashi says these were stalks of grains. It was amorim. Meaning the sieves, when they cut them down, uh, the grain, and they were collecting those uh, uh, cut, what they cut, the, 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 the grain, they were collecting it and putting them into bundles. That's amorim. That is the meaning of the word amorim. So Rashi explains... That it means Amorim. And the question really becomes, I mean, why is it important for us to know exactly what they were bundling? I mean, the idea is here that his bundle was strong and it stood up and they all bowed down to his bundle. That's the bottom line. But Rashi makes a point of telling us what these bundles were. It wasn't just... Now, in the field, in the does say in the verse... They were bundling in the field. So there is a 
connotation that we're talking about something that is in the field and that's growing in the field and that would but the specific bundling that it was amorim that this was of grain and this was uh, this type of bundles has a meaning, a special meaning now we know there's a lot of different discussion about dreams people have dreams in our parshas itself, we learn a lot of dreams. We learn later on about Paro's dream. We learn about Yosef's dreams. We learn Yaakov's dreams when he went to Egypt, when he went down to Lavan in the first time over there. So it's always the Torah talks about dreams. Now, all of the Torah's dreams are really meaningful and have lessons and are certainly important. What is the case with dreams that people dream uh, are they important are they real you know there is a whole uh, chapter in the tracted brachos that deals with dreams and dreams with resolving dreams and whether dreams are are true or they're not true and how to interpret them it looks it's a whole discussion I'm not going to resolve it over here but um the Gemara basically says that it depends on how you interpret. It's up to the person, really. If you interpret it for the good, it's going to be good. If you interpret it for the bad, it may be bad. There's a whole story in the Talmud there about it. But those are dreams. We're not sure how to interpret them or what they mean. But sometimes there is dreams in which Hashem tells you what the future will hold. Hashem is telling you the future through a dream sort of a kind of a prophecy. Sometimes we wonder what dreams are. They're not necessarily, or they're telling us about our past or revealing something to us. But sometimes a dream in the Chumash, like in the first dream of Yaakov over there, or Abraham had a dream, those weren't dreams necessarily something in the future, what they need to do about. A lot of times the dream is just revealing to you stuff that you wouldn't know. Like by Abraham, just telling him different stuff. But sometimes a dream tells you what to do. And sometimes a dream just tells you a little bit of the future ahead of time. So in the Mikates 41.25, by the dream of Pharaoh. So we know the story that Pharaoh was all disturbed. He couldn't find anybody to interpret in the dream. So over there in the verses says that when Yosef, and finally he took out Yosef, came out from the prison, and he came before Pharaoh. So it, the Pasuk says over there, that which Elohim is going to do, he is telling to Pharaoh. Which basically means that the reason why Hashem gave you this dream and gave me the power to interpret the dream is to tell you what to do. And Yosef goes on telling Pharaoh that he should stock up with all the food for the seven years of hunger that are going to come. And after they followed from first the seven years of sad, many of, of sad, of satisfaction, there's going to be a lot of food in them. So that was Hashem telling him what's going to happen in the future. And in that case, Hashem was also telling him how he should prepare for it. So here in our case, Rashi explains that actually this dream that Yosef had actually matched with what's going to happen in the future. 
it wasn't just the idea, okay, they're bundling bundles, and therefore, uh, and the bundles, their bundles are going to bow to his bundle, and therefore it makes him like the, in the head and in charge. There's more to it. We're talking about specifically, we're talking about grain over here. We're talking about grain. What, what is the connection to grain? So we read later on in the portion of Miketz that how did the brothers came down? So we read there was a hunger in the land of Egypt and the brothers of Yosef came to buy food. Now when they came to buy food, so here we have the grain, here we have these bundles, they came to buy fruit. What does the Pasuk say over there? The verse says there, and the brothers bowed down to him and bought the food. They bowed to him when they bought the food. So now, this fits in with the dream of the bundles of wheat, which means all of their wheat that they are getting is by through bowing to Yosef, because Yosef is the one in the middle. He's the one that is actually providing the wheat for everybody. And they have to bow to him in order to get their wheat. So if it was just bundles, then it didn't necessarily fit with what went, what's going to happen. But in this case, it actually fits. Once we say that these bundles are grains, it fits in exactly with the story that the future holds. Now, Rashi points out already that some of the dream didn't seem to be 100%, because Yaakov was trying to soften the anger and the hatred from Yosef by telling them, eh, you don't have to pay attention to this dream of Yosef, because I'll prove to you, because Yosef said the sun... In the second dream, he said, the sun and the moon. Who's the sun? The sun is the father. That's Yaakov. Who's the moon? The mother. Okay? So, he says, there could be no moon because Yosef doesn't have a mother anymore. So that means that it's not true. It's not going to happen. But the truth of the matter is, uh, the truth of the matter is, that that was referring, Rash says, to uh, Bilha, who raised him as a uh, as a mother, as his mother. She raised him. That that was referring to him. Besides the fact, uh, the Talmud says from this actually, the Talmud says there is no dream that doesn't have things that are not true. So it doesn't have to mean that everything is true. Even there are some things that are not true. I think I told you already, maybe told you the story about the Holy Ruziner. He was a grandson of the uh, of the Baal Shem Tov, actually. And he would always ask the question that Rashi had on the Chumash. So when he came to the uh, story about that ya- ya- Yaakov was dreaming about the angels flying up and down the ladder, going up and down the ladder, and so it says first they were going up and then they were going down. And Rashi comments over there, why does it say going uh, up before it says going down? Because going down seems like angels are up there. They have to first come down. And Rashi explains it that, well, it was the uh, angels that were coming from Israel that were going up and the angels from 
outside of Israel were coming down. But he didn't ask the question. The Ruzhiner, the, he was a young child. He didn't ask that question. So the teacher asked him, how come you're not asking the questions? He says, I don't have any questions. So he, I told him what the question was. So uh, the rabbi told him, he says, so he said to the rabbi, he says, well, this was a dream. So a dream, not everything is true in a dream. So he didn't have the question in the first place. Okay. So now let's go for a little bit and see what is this idea of bundling on the spiritual level. The spiritual meaning of the brothers bundling. Now, you know, generally, everything that the forefathers did, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, as well as the 12 tribes, it was physical what they did, but it also represented a more spiritual realm. Their physical activities that they did here was a mirror of what really took place in the spiritual world. And the truth of the matter is, everything that we do in this world, while it seems really mundane, it seems a very physical act, but really what we're doing over here in this world has tremendous impact. You know, it's behind the curtain. You know, you don't see what's going on behind the curtain, but we're on this side of the curtain. But behind the curtain, there is fantastic and tremendous, amazing things that are taking place. But certainly, when our forefathers, and certainly when the tribes, when they were bundling the bundles, there was some very spiritual, powerful accomplishments that took place through their work here. So this is from the words of the Alter Rebbe in the Torah or of the Parsha. He says like this, the spiritual sparks that fell and separated in the process of Shvirat HaKilim. That means in the Kabbalah we know that there was this concept of the breaking of the vessels. And the Hasidists in the Kabbalah talks a lot about that there was a tremendous light, too much for the vessels to contain, and the vessels broke. And from that breakage of the vessels, it scattered and splattered all over the place. And those are sparks of holiness. But those sparks of holiness descended in, and fragmented and dispersed into all directions, which means that they lost their unity and their connection to Hashem. In holiness, the idea of holiness is togetherness. It's togetherness, it's unity, and it's also the subjugation to Hashem. When people are humbled and subjugated to Hashem, so then their personal strifes and needs and egos and little uh, small things that people have, they're not considered at that point. They're all united, and they're all involved in one goal. The goal is to serve Hashem. But when you have a shvirat akilim, you have a breaking of the vessels, these sparks fly all over, they scatter, and they're no longer openly connected to Hashem. They seem like they fell away, they fell apart, they're broken. It's like a broken glass with pieces all over the place. So when they did the process of bundling the bundles, 
they elevated the spiritual par- sparks that fell and separated in this process of Shvirat HaKilim were elevated by the brothers in the spiritual terms of the Kabbalah to the level of Malchut in Atzilut, in Malchut of Atzilut, they elevated there. And there, the sparks were united. And they became one, all the sparks. And they were united in the oneness of Hashem. And over there, they became one in the true oneness of Hashem. You know, the Jewish souls, as they come down in this world, in different bodies, are different sparks of souls also. As we'll read in the next slide, we'll see that the same thing applies to people. I just want to demonstrate this, but that the Jewish people in a higher level are called Knesset Yisrael, the gathering of, uh, gathering of Jews, which means a place where we're all together. It's the tree from which the branches come out. It's the beginning from everything comes. Over there we're all fitting. When we reach up and we come to the higher level, then all of a sudden we're no longer separate. We're no longer, we're separated because we are, souls are brought into different bodies, into different places, and we've been lowered into a very low place. But when we grow and we elevate ourselves to the higher places, in this case we're talking about the sparks of, a, of, of that has scattered from the Shvirat HaKilim, then that is the bundling, that is the unity, unifying. This is the meaning they were bundling the bundles. Just like you tie the stalks when you collect lots of the wheat and you tie them together and make them into one bundle. So what they were doing is they were taking all the various different godly holiness and they were taking those sparks and uniting them and bringing them together and making them one. What does this mean? as far as souls as well. This is true with souls as well. We talk about Shvirat HaKilim, those are talking about general sparks. But the same thing is, is souls. Sometimes souls, which are all a unique part of Hashem, we need to collect the Jewish souls, the sparks that have scattered. Some Jewish souls have scattered, have left sort of their uh, home, they left their place, they left their roots, they left their connection to Hashem. And they've been scattered all over the place, in Goyesha places, in secular places, in uh, other religious places. And here is the key that the Rebbe says, that you gotta, where does it say, where do they do the bundling? It says, we're making the bundles basoda. Basoda means in the field. And the Rebbe wants to talk about here about the responsibility that we have in creating these bundles that we were talking about. About bundling. That we too need to bundle and we need to bring together. Now, first, we need to collect our own sparks. Because in our own selves, we as individuals are also fragmented. We are also not united. One day we're like this, one day we're like that. We have different feelings, we have different pools, we have different emotional states. We are 
also sometimes pieces, pieces, pieces. We are fragmented. And we have different sparks of our soul which are scattered. And we need to unite. We need to work on ourselves to unite them and elevate them so all of our sparks. So we shouldn't be like, oh, I'm davening and at the same time I'm insulting someone. <laughs> you know. So we do... We do two things together. We can't do that. We can't be scattered. We can't, We need to unite. Unite all of our potentials, all of our energies, all of our strength, all of our abilities. Unite them. Bundle them together. Tie them to Hashem. That's the first step. But in addition, you know, the bundling is done in the field. One needs to leave his or her own comfort zone. And occupying oneself with bringing people back to Teshuvah. You gotta start collecting bundles, bundling in, getting other people involved. That is means going out to the field. You gotta go out to the field. You gotta go find them. You gotta find people who are not in your home and they're not in your city. They may even be in the field, which means they're far away. And that's where the bundling is done. And you get those far souls and you get those sparks and you bundle them, you bring one Jew together with another Jew and then you bring all of them and you bring them all up and unite them all with Hashem. You bundle them. But it's not just bundling them. And Rashi explains Ma'asri Nasorim. Bundling means here you are tying ties. Sometimes you can bundle things, you can wrap things around in a wrap. But you know what? If you wrap things, it can unwrap. But if you tie it, then you're sort of making sure that it's going to be there, that it's going to be strong, and it's going to be lasting. Rosh says, that they are tying those ties. They're tying those ties for them to be a lasting and a continuous and a continuous connection so that you don't just reach out and then bring them in and then you lose them no 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 bring them in and tie them up (laughs) make sure that they stay that they feel connected that they come back that they feel connected i don't know i just i don't know where this is going to lead i'll just share with you anyways i don't know the end of this story but the other day, I get a uh, an email. I was intrigued by email. Somebody says, you know, he heard that Chabad, we give out free menorahs and uh, candles. I said, for sure, he wants one. I said, of course. I said, would you like to come pick it up? Would you like to me to mail it to you? How would you like it? He was like, you don't even know who I am, and you're ready to spend money on a mailer to send me something, give me something for free? I don't know, he's... And, uh, okay, then he says to me, he says, you know, send it in the mail. He says, oh, I'm willing to pay for the post or whatever. He says, send it in the mail. And then he says to me, I just discovered that my maternal grandmother is Jewish. <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't know. He said, discovered that his maternal grandmother, that means that he's Jewish. And he says, I wanted to experience, I want to start practicing a little bit. It's his first First attempt at Yiddishkeit. <laughs> he just found out. So, 
again, I don't know the end of the story, because, so I said to him, I said, I, it was all email, I didn't talk to him, it was all email. So I said in the email, I said, look, you know, you sound like you have, I'm intrigued by your story, by your discovery. I said, you know what, you only live 11 minutes away, I, I googled his address, and I said, you live 11 minutes away, I'll just drive by, and I'll bring you to Menorah. I says, social distancing, I'll meet you outside for a few minutes, wear masks, social distancing, maybe you want to tell me your story. <laughs> I'd like to hear, you know, I said, it sounds very interesting, and I'll deliver it. So, he, he, didn't, uh, he didn't buy into that, but I delivered it anyway, so I don't know yet the end of the story, we'll hear the end of the story. But I'm just saying, you got to reach out, but then you got to tie him in. You can't, you can't just, you know, you can't just reach out, and you got to, you got to put the noose around. You know. Anyways, so here, I'm sorry, you want to say something? Uh, here we're saying the idea of bundling the wheat. What is this? Another? There's another point here. They were bundling the wheat, the grain. Why are we saying the wheat, the grain? Grain is something that when you plant them, they will grow more grain. Here is the key. The idea is to influence others to the extent that they will become teachers and impact others as well. So you don't just bundle. You're bundling grain, which means you bundle them so strong that you're taking them so that they in turn can go ahead and become people that can make a difference in other people's lives as well. So not only did you tie them in, but you made them into people that can influence others to also make a difference in other people's life. That's bundling of grain. And um, in the Hebrew, it's called, in the expression, it's called, you're moist. Enough moist so that you can moist somebody else. It's called, That means that you're wet yourself, so you're excited. But you get the other person wet too, which means you get the other person excited as well. It's not sufficient just for you to stay excited by yourself. What you want to do is you want to be excited and want to add excitement to someone else. And this is actually connections to both Hanukkah and Kislev 19, the 19th of Kislev. Now last week on Sunday we had 19th of Kislev. This year it is Kislev. I mean, on Shabbos. And we know on Thursday night, Friday, there will be the first day of Hanukkah. So, this is also an interesting connection to both, to Hanukkah and Kislev 19. Now, one of the main activities of the Alter Rebbe was to return people to Judaism. That was one of his main goals. He heard from his teacher, from the Magid of Mezrich, whose Yorzeit was also on this day, how important it is to bring people back to Yiddishkeit. So he turned and made it his main goal to turn people and bring them closer to Yiddishkeit. He would travel and he would go around different places openly and hidden. So that means he was bundling the bundles. He was, <laughs> he was getting, gathering people and teaching them and bringing them in. But especially as we know, it says the Baal Shem Tov had a dream. And in his dream, he used to have his soul would all elevate into the spiritual worlds. In one of his dreams, 
he actually went up and he came to the room in which Mashiach resides. I guess the soul of the Messiah, Mashiach resides over there. And he asked the Mashiach, he says, when are you coming? When are you, Master, when are you coming? And Mashiach answered him, he says, When your wellsprings of Hasidus, your wellsprings will go to the outside, that's when I will come. And basically, Yutas Kislev was the time, 19th of Kislev was the time that there was a tremendous push of teaching and bringing the inspiration, the light, the warmth, the insight of Hasidus, the Hasidic inner meaning of the teachings to the broad community for everybody to taste, for everybody to partake in it. And this was his way of teaching Hasidus, gathering all the souls in through the Hasidic teaching, to the inspiration, and elevating them and uniting them with Hashem. And there's also a similar, very amazing message from the light of Hanukkah. You know, most of the mitzvahs that we do, we're always going to use our right hand. We know that, exception of lefties, but lefties, that's their right hand, there's their left hand, that's the strong hand. But we always know the right hand is the strong hand, the hand. When we do a mitzvah, you always do it with your right hand. Again, we're talking about righties, but a lefty, that's the right hand. So we do, when you take the lulav, right? When you, everything that you do, when you light the candle, everything you do, you always use your right hand as the mitzvah. That's the mitzvah hand that you do. Why? Because right represents holiness. But the menorah, the uh, candelabra, now, those people that put it in the window, Okay, that's one thing. But the people that put it by the door, because that's the mitzvah, the way it says, they put it outside on the door. Like when you go to Israel, you'll see they have all these glass cases, and everybody puts it in the front entrance of their door. That's where the mitzvah is. Which side of the door do they put it? On the left-hand side. Left, why left? Okay, mezuzah on the right, the Hanukkah on the left. So you're surrounded with mitzvahs. But still the Hanukkah is on the left. Something else. The Hanukkah, most mitzvahs, we do inside. But here, you know, the Rebbe started this campaign, this public menorah lightings, which by the way, we're going to have a car, a safe menorah lighting on Sunday, the second Sunday of Hanukkah. I mean, not Sunday, this Sunday, the first Sunday of Hanukkah. We're going to have in the um, only in cars. We'll have a public menorah lighting. It'll be some entertainment with treats and everything else. I hope that everybody can make it over there. It'll be nice. We're also honoring the first responders, giving them a thank you for all the things that they do, especially in these circumstances. And that's going to be on the. Um, um, oh, skips my name. But you'll look it up. We'll see what it's going to be in. By the, by the ballpark over there where they, Deborah Sampson, by the Deborah Sampson parking lot over there is going to be. So in any event, Hanukkah is done outdoors. Rabbi says, make all these menorah, publicize the outdoors. 
Why? Because we're trying to illuminate the outside. We're trying to find, you know, when you bring fire, you collect sparks, you collect souls. There's an endless amount of stories of people who passed by this menorah light and they saw it ignited a light in their soul. It ignited something deep inside of them. And people were so happy to celebrate on the outside. You know, there is a idea. Some people say, no, 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 don't go outside. Hide your Judaism. Don't wear your yarmulke outside. Don't wear your beard outside. I mean, today's fashionable, so you don't know. If you, <laughs> it doesn't mean anything. But, uh, but you know, in the shul, you know, you're daven, you're Jewish, you know, good. But when you go in the street, you're, 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 you're going to bring anti-Semitism. Yeah, you're going to get people uh, uh, to hate the Jews because uh, we're a minority over here and we should go in the closet and hide ourselves. Don't show anybody. But we see that the reverse is true. Especially by the American people. We live in a Christian country and everybody is celebrating their holidays with a big, uh, a big to-do. And what do the Jewish kids have? So Inevitably, a lot of them get attracted because if you don't provide an alternative, we know that already. You can't just say, no, this is not Jewish and we don't do that. You have to give them. We know that from factual. I'm not talking about the the very ultra-religious. I'm talking about the people out there. If you don't give them something else to celebrate, then they're not going to do it. So this provided a, a celebration for people to be proud for people to be happy for people to do their own holiday so where do we do the holiday of Hanukkah not like the chauffeur which is in shul although this year we did it all outside because of corona and not be and not and not like the Torah reading which is done in the shul everything is done within your house within your sukkah you you do the lulav we don't do mitzvahs in the street the only mitzvah we do in the street is the Ner Hanukkah. We're doing that because we want to... The Hanukkah represents the idea of trying to get the sparks, to get the outsides, to bundle them, to bundle them together, to make them all united in the service of Hashem. So this is one thought of the beginning of the Parsha. Then I have a, there's another idea that I wanted to share with you, and that is... Um, another portion, and that is the story that you sure you all know about, so after they sold Yosef, his brothers, and then they tried to free him from the pit, Reuben came and wasn't there, and then they blamed, they blamed Yehuda. Yehuda was the spoke, the, the, the person who had a voice, because originally Yehuda told them, hey, let's not kill our brother, what kind of a benefit is there for it, for us. Let's sell him, at least. And when they sold him, and then they saw how bad their father was doing, they started to regret what they were doing. And they said, Yehuda, you told us to sell him. If you told him to give him back to the father, we listened to you. You had authority. And we would listen to you. And you didn't tell us to do that. They had demoted him, the brother. So Yehuda goes, we read the whole story. And, and then he has, he marries a woman over there where he went. He went and then, then he marries a woman. And then 
she gives birth to, he has three sons, and then the daughter-in-law was Tamar, and Tamar first was the wife of the older, the heir, and then Shelo, she wouldn't give him to Shelo. So now Tamar wanted to very much have children from the family of Yehuda. So she goes and disguises herself, and she sits on the crossroads, and she has this encounter with Yehuda, the whole story over there. She encounters Yehuda, and, and she actually conceives, and, and then they, they wanted to kill her. Okay, so eventually, you know, Yehuda admitted, that's the story, and, she was, and then she gave birth to two beautiful sons, twins, and eventually Mashiach is born. King, King David comes from there, and King Mashiach will come. That's the, that's the story. But I'm going to just concentrate on one, uh, one lesson that the Rebbe learns from here, which is Vayesha, which says that one must always go higher. One must always grow higher, go higher. So, this is what it says in Vayeshev 38.13. It says, And it was told to Tamar, And behold, your father-in-law is going up to Timnas. Okay? Your father-in-law is going up to Timnas. And Rashi explains that Timnas was on a mountain. And you would go up from one direction and down from the other direction. Why, why do we have to know this? Why is this important to know? Why is Rashi telling us that Timnus was on a mountain and you would go up from one direction and you go up to another direction? So, the Rebbe explains, because... The, the, the problem is, the verse says, behold, your father-in-law, it says, is going up to Timnas. Going up. Why doesn't it just say, your, fa- your father... Uh, where am I out there? Oh, oh, Why doesn't it just say, your father-in-law is going to Timnas? What does he have to say, going up to Timnas? Why do why? We, we, we don't care. He's going to Timnas. So Rashi says, aha. Right? The Rebbe explains Rashi. So Rashi says, oh, why is he going up? Because Timnas was sitting in the middle. Since she wanted to meet up with him, if they would just tell her that he's going to Timnas, she wouldn't know where to meet him. If he's going to Timnas, he can be coming from the top or he can come in the body, she didn't know where to meet him. She was trying to meet up with him. So, therefore, the Pasuk says, going up to know, Rashi says, going up because it was on a mountain. And that's why it's important for us to know. That's just a explaining the Rashi. But I want to concentrate a little bit on the message over here. So, we know that the service of Hashem is like climbing a mountain. Look how it says in the verse in Psalms 24.3. Okay, it says like this. Who can climb the mountain of Hashem? So they equate the service of Hashem, service of God, a climbing of a mountain. Why do we equate the service of Hashem to climbing a mountain? 
we compare the service of Hashem to climbing a mountain. Just as when you climb a mountain, it is almost impossible to stop in the middle because you may slip and fall. You must continue to climb. So it is with the service of Hashem that one must climb not only to go higher, but to prevent from descending lower. So which means you can't just say to yourself, you know what, I'm happy the way I am, and that's where I want to stay myself. No, 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 you're on a mountain. If you want to stay where you are, you can't stay where you are. You must continue to strive and go higher and higher in order for you to stay where you are. So that's why we're saying we're climbing a mountain. You know, you have to always go and look and look higher. Things that are good for me today are not necessarily good for me tomorrow, which means I've accomplished some things today, but once I've accomplished, look at it the way you look at people. You know, the Gemara says, Mishi Yeshler Mona Masayim. If you have $100, then you want $200. Okay, then you have $200. So you say, enough, no, no, then you want $400. And if you have $400, you want $800. You always, it's interesting, the Gemara says, Talmud says, a person dies and he has never fulfilled half of his desire. Why? Because you always want double than what you have. So it means, even though you have whatever you get, you always want more. You always want more than that. So you're never going to be 100% uh, get the reward. But that's talking about monetary thing. It's just an example. But when we talk about spiritual standing, if you study today and you learned one pasuk, you got to say tomorrow I got to learn a second pasuk. I can't say I just knew one pasuk. I want to do the second pasuk. If you do a second pasuk, you got to do a third pasuk. Notice I'm not saying one pasuk, two, two, four, four, eight. Okay, just do one more pasuk every day. If you do one more pasuk every day, then you're climbing the mountain. What happens if I say, no, no. I'm just going to do that just same pasuk that I did yesterday. I'm not doing anything more. Not only, this is the message, not only are you not doing the pasuk, but you're going to start forgetting that pasuk that you already know you start forgetting that also. If you don't do more, if you don't go higher, if you don't do more, you're inevitably going to lose out. Look at this example. And one of the examples is from the lights of Hanukkah. We see this by the kingdom of the Hanukkah light. Every night we add, it's supposed to be one light, okay? Every night we add one light. So as to always increase in service of Hashem. So the first night you light first, the second night you light two, then you light three. So what happens, you know, by the way, in the Talmud, there is a discussion whether we do it eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one, or we do one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. And the ruling is we do one, two, three, seven, four, five, six, seven, eight, because we're always going to go higher in Kedusha. We have to go elevate. We got to do more. So we add in light. Now, what happens if a person on the fourth day is going to still light the same like he did the last night? He's going to do three lights. So, 
now he has lost over his yesterday's day. Why? Because on the third day when he did three lights, he was doing the mitzvah in the most perfect way. Why? Because that mitzvah was done, it was an increase over the two lights. And on the third night, that was it. But on the fourth light that he's doing, just like the third night, he lost out on being in the perfection. Now, now he's not doing the mitzvahs with perfection because he's only doing the, the amount that he did yesterday. So basically, it tells us we have to continually increase our observance and our commitment. And the same thing is in every act that we do, in our act of kindness, our Kindness starts at home. You start with yourself. Being kind to yourself. And, you know, the Rebbe says about tzedakah, charity. Charity also begins, you know, give yourself a little charity. Give yourself some more time to the study of Torah, to the learning of uh, doing mitzvahs and doing uh, things that bring you closer to Hashem in, in, in the proper way. But the message is, Keep on going that mountain. Keep on going in the mountain. Climb the mountain. Climb higher and higher. Matter of fact, when it comes to physical, mundane, monetary things, you know, it, people want more. But I told you once this story. I once heard about this prince who had everything that he ever could dream of. He had everything. They took care of him. And guess what? From all the things that they have, he was terribly depressed. He was so depressed that he became so sick. And the parents didn't know what to do. They took him to all kinds of doctors and all kinds of colleges and all kinds of... And they, they didn't know what to do for him. Because he, 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 was, he, he was missing nothing. He had everything. Why would he be so upset? Why would he be so depressed? Why would he be so down? So finally, there's somebody came and said, you know, I have a way of cheering up the sun. I read in one in an old book, I read over there, it says that if you put on a shirt from a happy person and you wear that for seven days, then you become happy. Okay, nothing else happened. Nothing else helped. So, okay, so the, the king says, okay, you know what? Go out, find me a find me a happy person out there and bring me the shirt. Pay them whatever they want for the shirt. Bring me a shirt from a happy person. He goes out of the palace, the, the messenger. He sees this beautiful house. And he sees this, you know, a, a four-car garage with a Ferrari sitting in the driveway. He said, this is the happiest house in the whole city. Look at what they have. He goes behind the door and he listens in and he hears, Oi, Gewalt. The husband is screaming at the kids and the wife is yelling at him and it's uh, uh, miserable. He says, no, no, this is, not a, this is not a happy house. Anyways, th- the story goes that he went from house to house. You know, these things, it doesn't seem like all their uh, possessions, you know, brought them any happiness. People were not happy. So finally he comes to the end of the city. There was this, this uh, half a dilapidated house over there. He says, well, these people must be most miserable. But I'm here already, let me try. He goes in, he listens behind the door, he sees the people are talking nice to each other and gentle, it looks like a beautiful, beautiful home. He knocks at the door, he says, yes, yes, can we help you? What is it? He says, listen, the prince is very sick. We're looking at a shirt from a happy family and this seems like to be a happy family. Can you 
give us the shirt. He says, I would love to help you, but we don't own a shirt. <laughs> it didn't bring them, it didn't bring them the happiness. The point of here is one when it comes to physical and mundane monetary situation, one can really tell themselves, you know, we like to be like the, live up like the Jones and like everybody else, can say to ourselves, Thank you, Hashem, for what you've given me. I thank Hashem for every minute for what He's given me. I thank you because you've been so kind and I'm undeserving. And forget about what anybody else has. I'm happy and I'm thrilled and I thank you for what you've given me. That is when it comes to the physical matters. But when it comes to the spiritual matters, that's a different story. Over there you can't say, oh, you know, look, I already do so many good things, you know, and I'm all set. No, no, no. Over there you should never be satisfied with what you did. Like the lamps of the Hanukkah say, yesterday I did some, tomorrow I'll do more, and the next day I'll do even more. We can always grow, and the sign of a living thing is when it grows. A tree, living, it grows. If it's dead, it doesn't grow. Sign of our life is that we keep on growing, and we keep on climbing the mountain. But guess what? Hashem helps us. He supports us. He throws us down this line from on top, and pulls us a little bit, and pushes us. It says that a person who comes to climb the mountain, or a tire, one who comes to Messiah, he gets support. Hashem supports us. Hashem gives us that help that we need. We just got to say, hey, we're ready to climb the mountain. And when we're ready to climb the mountain, Hashem pulls us, pushes us, either way, you know, in both ways, and we are able to reach our goals. So, with this, I want to wish everybody a happy Hanukkah.